uh, I, I want to give you a little history of my background. I was attending Northwest, it was called Northwest College at that time, and uh, the phone rang. Now, we didn't have cell phones in that day, and so it was the uh, pay phone in the, in the hallway. And somebody came and knocked on my dorm room and said, uh, the phone's for you. And I picked up the phone, and it was my father. And he said, are you sitting down? And I said, well, I can't sit down. I'm at the upright payphone. He goes, well, I just want to let you know I got voted in at uh, Tacoma Neighborhood Church. And we're moving to Tacoma. He'd been pastoring in Port Angeles. And I said, wow, okay, well, it looks like I'm moving to Tacoma. And uh, so I started making plans of uh, uh, coming to Tacoma and uh, find some work to pay for my college. And uh, my aunt, Joanne Larson, and her husband, Don, uh, hired me, and I got to ride around in these little Cushman scooters and pick up garbage and had all kinds of fun, uh, had a blast. But a week after my dad called me, I got another phone call. And somebody knocks on my door at school, and are you sitting down, he asks. And I said, uh, again, I, I can't sit down. What, what's going on? He said, well, I just got voted in as the assistant superintendent for the Northwest District, now Northwest Ministry Network. So it looks like we're not going to Tacoma we're going to move to Kirkland. And so I'm just like, wow, uh, you know, what's the call going to be next week? <laughs> but it, it put me on a, a journey uh, here in Tacoma that was quite interesting. My, my mom and dad uh, grew up in the Tacoma area. And uh, my, uh, my grandparents, Harry and Marie, were actually saved at a Charles Price community tent gathering here in Tacoma. And so I'm thinking, you know, Pastor Fred, if it wasn't for these big events, like Charles Price coming to town, I wouldn't be here today. And so what you guys are doing, you know, with this event, this 253 event is huge because you never know who's sitting there that's going to be impacted with the gospel and then their kids and then their kids are, are going to be, you know, it's a legacy that only God can orchestrate. Uh, also, I came here as an intern pastor. And this was way back in the mid-70s. And uh, there's, uh, you know, I just have all kinds of memories about this church, being an intern youth pastor with Pastor Hack. And uh, I, I I was a painter by trade, and so I painted the outside of this church. Sorry about that. Uh, you know, way back in the day. And then I preached my first sermon here. So it's just, you know, a lot of emotions are coming through. Forty years later, here I am uh, back with you, uh, you know, preaching another sermon. Hopefully it'll be better than the one 40 years ago. Uh, and... Uh, I, w I wanted to just uh, share with you uh, some of the things that have happened since then. Uh, it, it's quite interesting how God has a sense of humor. I never planned to be a minister. I went to Northwest to study in accounting and get an accounting degree, and then I was going to transfer to the University of Washington. 
And yeah, go dogs. And uh, I even made it to the campus, was walking up to the registrar's office, and I felt this dark presence. And then uh, I didn't hear this audibly, but I heard it in my mind. The Lord say, if you go in there, you're choosing your own destiny. I'm like, wow. And it's like, I've got another destiny for you. I turned around. I didn't even go in the, the building. I turned around, got in my Firebird, went back to college. And there were spiritual emphasis weeks going on. And, and that night, God just, you know, zeroed in. It was like the speaker knew me by name and knew my life. Anybody been in a sermon, uh, in a, uh, a uh, service like that? It uh, is, is pretty profound. And so... Uh, went back to Northwest University, met my wife, who totally transformed my life, turned me around next to Jesus. Debbie Stan, it's good to have Debbie here. You need to know who Debbie is. And then uh, when I graduated from Northwest, Debbie and I launched out into ministry ourselves. I tried to do everything I could to keep from being a lead pastor. I was a youth pastor. And uh, thought that was going to be my destiny. And then Brother Bourne, the assistant superintendent, at that time my dad had become the superintendent, asked if uh, I wanted to go to East Wenatchee. I said, uh, as a youth pastor? He goes, no, as, as a lead pastor. I said, no thanks. He goes, well, why don't you just come and take a look at it? That was his style. And uh, I wish I'd have known his style. <laughs> Got up to East Wenatchee, this little country church. And I walked in there, and I knew that was where God was calling me. And it was almost bittersweet. It was like, I don't want to come here. But I knew God was calling us. And we ended up going there, spending 20 years of our life and raising our two daughters. And uh, that church grew to be a very strong, powerful church in the community from 12 to over 300. Some weekends we had over 1,000 people coming in and, and worshiping in those big events. And so uh, I praise God for the, the journey that he took us on. And it starts right here at Neighborhood Church. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, in the meantime, Debbie and I got into this hobby. And I want to show you a couple of pictures uh, about this hobby we got into. And the, the first picture, go ahead and go to the next slide. Yeah, technical difficulties. It'll be there. It'll get there. While he's showing... Oh, there it is. No, that's not it. Uh, I'll just tell you about it, and then we'll catch up. But uh, when I was a kid, my dad helped me purchase my first motorcycle. It was a Victor 50 mini bike. There it is right there. Had a Honda 50 engine in it, uh, a speedometer that would go up to 60. My... Mother rode on the back of that bike, and I actually got the mini bike up to 50 miles an hour before she was tapping me on the shoulder and said, that's enough, that's fast enough, slow down. And so I think she's even the one that took that, that picture. And I always had this dream of having a motorcycle ministry uh, in our church. And uh, Al Munger, who pastored in uh, Paulsbo, for years had this motorcycle ministry called the Holy Rollers. And I thought, man, that'd be so cool to have uh, a, 
a church that was actually doing some fun things. And so uh, uh, that actually became a reality when a couple of guys in the church in East Wenatchee heard about that vision, asked me one day if I wanted to go riding. I said, well, I don't have a bike. Oh, don't worry, we, we've got one you can use. So they picked me up at my office. We went up to this gentleman's house. He opened the garage door, and here is this beautiful uh, red and black uh, Road King Classic. And they handed me the keys, and they said, here you go. This is yours. And I said, oh, you mean I get to use this bike today? And they said, no, you don't get it. This is yours. If you'll keep it clean, keep it insured use it for ministry. And so I, I wore that bike out, actually uh, traded it in when it had 78,000 miles on it, and uh, graduated to the next Harley-Davidson, which is an ultra classic. And that bike, uh, the first bike made it to Hilton Head, South Carolina, and that bike has made it all the way up to Vermont and back. And then 10 years uh, into our riding, we had a motorcycle ministry in the church. My wife finally said, Dave, I want to ride my own bike. And so I'm like, well, what can I do to keep her from riding her own bike? It's enough that I'm in control, but what do I do when I'm no longer in control and she's on a bike? So I said, you got to take the test. You got to go do all these things. And, and well, I think that was like saying, saying sick them to a bulldog and she did every one. She went down, took the test with all these 20-something guys and passed and aced it. And then I'm like, I've got to get her her own bike. So I got her uh, a bike. She's actually on her second bike, and here's a picture of it. She rides a fat boy Harley-Davidson uh, anniversary special, and uh, she's pretty excited to uh, uh, I'm excited because she's got two fat boys in her life now, and <laughs> life is good. So I decided uh, years later to write a book on the journey, and I wrote this book, What the Church Can Learn from Harley-Davidson. Uh, yeah, it's a, a strange title, but there are a lot of things the church can learn from Harley-Davidson, and so I put them in this book, and this this book is actually... Uh, been great to connect with unchurched people. I, I didn't write it for that, but unchurched people are saying, you know what? It's about time somebody gives it to the church, tells them how they ought to act. And so uh, unchurched people are reading this. They're sending me notes, and, and it, it's been a great bridge to be able to connect with, with unchurched people. So I wanted to give this book away, and I'm going to give this book away to the person who was here 40 years ago that heard me preach my first sermon, and you were a carpet layer. Is, where is he? He's out in the hall. Can you get him? Bring him on in. When, he come, when, he, when Randy comes in, we're going to act like we're all surprised, okay? Okay, I'm going to give this book to the person who was here 40 years ago who heard my first sermon. He actually said it was a good sermon. It's good. He doesn't have a memory. I don't either. I don't even know what I preached on. But uh, that's the kind of affirming person Randy has been to my family. He and uh, his wife would show up at these, seemed like just 
unannounced times, but you always showed up at the right time to encourage my mom and dad, and you always showed up with a smile, and you're like an uncle to me because you, you just always showed up. I was just a little kid, and you were always showing up. Uh, you're the guy that always shows up. <laughs> Especially at dessert time, when my mom, when my mom would make that really good huckle or not huckleberry, but the uh, wild blackberry cobbler. Yeah, I can't find that anywhere. People have tried to. No, nobody wants to pick them, and she picked them and did a great job. But I want to give this book to the person that was here 40 years ago and and heard me uh, preach my first message. Thank you, Randy. Appreciate you guys. Well, I wanted to uh, talk this morning about uh, th this whole idea of being outward focused. Uh, the book is really a, a challenge to take the church uh, outside of the four walls. Uh, you know, this gospel has been designed to go outside of the four walls. It's not intended to stay here. Uh, it, the, the, one of the purposes is to be here to encourage us, to equip us, to transform us. But, but that is so we can go out from here and be effective in the world. You know, one statistic shows that 75% of unchurched people do not have a relationship with one Christ follower. It's no wonder people have a bad attitude towards the church. They don't have a friend who's a Christian. And so they're getting their idea of the church through the media, through sitcoms, through, every, through maybe a friend who had a bad experience at church. And obviously those, those perceptions are not truthful, but to them, it's reality. And so they feel like church is a place I don't want to go to. Church is a place that's going to judge me. Church is a place that's going to make me change before I am accepted. Now, we all know that's not the gospel, but that's their perception. And I've talked to so many guys that have said, you know, I don't go to church because if I go in there, the walls are going to cave in on me. Maybe you were that way at one time. But uh, it's just the opposite, isn't it? The walls are strong and fortified, and we want those that are living in sin to feel free to come and to hear this good news because the good news is for all who have sinned. The good news is not for the holy, uh, righteous, beyond righteous people that think they've never done anything wrong. Uh, where do you find the good news? The good news is for all who have fallen short of the glory of God and have sinned. If you're in that camp today, raise your hand along with me. That's good news for all of us. We have all sinned, the Bible says. And we are a fool if we think we haven't. So Bill Eason, in a, in a book called The Second Resurrection, Leading Your Congregation to New Life, talks about two different kinds of churches. He talks about an inward church and an outward church. 
And for the inward church, he says, they've lost their sense of mission. To those who have not heard about Jesus Christ and don't pant after the great commission. They exist primarily to provide fellowship for the members of the club. Ouch. And when I heard that, I thought, Lord, don't let us just be clubs, Christian clubs. Don't let us be hogging the good news and keeping it to ourselves when there is a world out there that desperately needs to hear this good news. It, it is good news. And so it starts with us personally, and, and the first challenge that I want to give you is just a call to be personally outward focused. Uh, a lot of times we, when we think of church, we, we think about the church leaders, and we think, well, you know, if, if the pastor would just do this, or the teachers would just do this, then we would be an evangelistic church. No, it starts with us personally, and just asking ourselves, what is my life representing? How, how am I uh, representing Christ outside of these four walls? You know, we serve an outward-focused God. From the beginning of mankind, God brought this idea of conciliation to humankind. Now, what is conciliation? Conciliation is actually a legal term, and uh, it's the action of one who takes or brings reconciliation between two parties who have a broken relationship. So let's just think of it in terms of a couple who are struggling in their marriage. Sometimes that couple are never going to be reconciled until there is a third party that steps in and says, well, let me come in and let me take the first step to try to bring some conciliation and get the two of you to at least talk. God is the one on our account who moved in, took the first step in that broken relationship that we had with God, and he sent his only son to come to earth to pay the price, die on the cross, be buried, so that you and I have the chance of reconciliation. But before reconciliation can happen, conciliation takes place where God takes that first step. And what's so incredible about God is he did it without even asking our permission. God never asked your permission. Is it okay if I let my son die for you so that you could have eternal life and you could also have abundant life here on earth? He never asked us that, did he? he? He was the conciliator. He took that first step and took a risk, knowing that a lot of people are not going to take him up on his challenge, on his offer, but also knowing that many would receive his offer and would reconcile back to him. It's amazing. When you read the scriptures, you see how God's in this redemptive mode all through Genesis, all the way to Revelation. This whole idea of wanting to bring people to him in reconciliation. In Luke 18, verse 13, in the Amplified Bible, talks about the tax collector who's standing at a distance from Jesus. He 
he wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, uh, just a distance from God. He's striking his chest saying, oh God, be favorable. That Greek word is conciliate, which means be gracious, be merciful to me, especially this wicked sinner that I am. That's conciliation. And every one of us have been called to bring conciliation to those who are without relationship with God. You have been called to be a conciliator. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a conciliator. It's someone who makes the first move towards reconciliation. And you don't have to go far nowadays to find someone who's out of relationship with God. All I have to do is go a, a few feet up from my house. And, and there's all kinds of people who are out of relationship with God. I don't have to go far to be a conciliator. But I feel that that is a calling not just for the quote-unquote evangelists. That is the call for every believer that we be a conciliator for the Lord. Uh, the mission of the church is to join God in this redemptive work and bring this conciliation to humankind. And I think sometimes we make it really difficult. We think we have to have a PhD in evangelism in order to be effective. You know, but the Word of God talks about how we are all living letters. We have a story. You have a story of, of reconciliation. And uh, there are a lot of people out there that would benefit by hearing that story that you have. You know what it is to have been in sin and know that without Jesus you'd never make it to heaven. And then to be transformed and to see the effect on yourself and your family. You've got this incredible story that people need to hear. And, and so don't feel like you have to have all of this education, all this Bible knowledge to be dangerous for Jesus. Some of the most dangerous people for Jesus are brand new converts, hardly know a lick of scripture. But man, they can sure tell you about a transformed life. Amen? Reggie McNeil wrote this, the appropriate response to the emerging world is a rebooting of the mission, a radical obedience to an ancient command, a loss of self rather than self-preoccupation, concern about service and sacrifice rather than concern about style. I think a lot of our church wars have been concerns about the clubhouse, how do we decorate the clubhouse? You know, what color is the clubhouse going to be? What kind of songs are we going to sing in the clubhouse? How loud is it going to be? Uh, how soft is it going to be? Uh, you know, all of these things about the clubhouse. And yet Jesus is not so much concerned about all that as he is those who are lost and still are without reconciliation with him. Lord, help us think more about what's going on outside of these walls than what's going on in here. 
Now, that doesn't mean that we discredit what goes on in here because it's important to have a tool, and the church is a tool, this building is a tool that can remove distractions from people that they have, all, all the, the little distractions that, that can keep them from hearing the good news. So when you come into a place that is, is nice like this, I notice, Pastor, you've got the parking lot looking great. And, you know, you, you drive in, it's like they're looking for company. I can come in here. There's not all these distractions. That's important, but it's not the mission. The mission is being out there and being conciliators for Jesus. Uh, Jesus also emphasizes in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I'm so glad that the power of the Holy Spirit is not just for us to use uh, for ourselves and our own personal benefit. Now, there's a lot of benefits that come in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, a lot of blessings that come, but it's not for us. And Acts 1.8, if you look at the context here, shows that we're to be witnesses. That's why we need the power. And uh, that empowerment helps us to be able to do things like we have never been able to do gives us the right words to say when we don't have the words and thank the Lord for his empowerment that he didn't just leave us on our own to be those conciliators, but he says, I'm going to give you power and you're going to be effective. There is a uh, word that I use when we're taking ministry trips and, and the last 15 years, Debbie and I have taken pastors and their wives on summer ministry rides and uh, it's, it's kind of like a camp for adults where they get to go out and uh, camp for pastors and uh, do something totally different the first day they're there and these pastors have their cell phones one pastor had two cell phones one at each ear uh, but by the second or third day they've totally forgot where their cell phone is and, and now they're enjoying life again we would talk to them about intersections when we had our safety rides. And when you're riding a motorcycle, one of the things you have to be alert is with intersections. They're the most dangerous places on the highway. The Highway Traffic, Traffic Safety Administration says roughly half of all motorcycle accidents occur at those intersections. And uh, some tips that we would give our riders is first of all, pay extreme attention. When you come to an intersection, pay attention. Be alert to your surroundings. Watch if there's any movement, if there's anything strange going on, if cars are pulling out from the side streets. Secondly, slow down. When the driver's vision is obscured uh, and they don't see you, make sure you slow down so that you can make some alternate decisions. And then three, yield to any vehicle. Uh, any car with four wheels is bigger than your motorcycle. And it doesn't do any good to be macho and think that you can take out that car. You never will. It could be a little teeny smart car 
and they can take you out. And so uh, that's not the time to be macho. That's the time to yield. Well, we talked to the, to the group about this is a great metaphor relating to our journey in life that uh, sometimes we're going so fast in life. We're just zooming from one event to the next. We don't even, uh, we don't, we're not aware of our surroundings. We're not aware of the possible human intersections that Jesus has divinely orchestrated for us. And on these bike journeys, I have found that the Lord has so many divine intersections planned that I wasn't even aware of. I'll give you just a, a quick example. Uh, last week, Debbie and I had a couple of days, and so we went off on our motorcycles and got on the ferry to go from Edmonds to Kingston, and then we're going to just travel around. Uh, there was another biker who is on the ferry with us, and he starts talking with me, and we're building a relationship. Debbie and I are, are talking with him, and found out he was going to Nia Bay, and we were going to Port Townsend. And had a good conversation. We parted, went our ways. Debbie and I went to Port Townsend, enjoyed the afternoon, had lunch, got back on the ferry to uh, head over to the island. And uh, here, wouldn't you know it, this guy shows up, pulls right up in behind us as we're waiting for the ferry. And we're all shaking our heads. He even shook his head. He's like, I can't believe you guys are here. And so on the ferry, I had a 20-minute opportunity to talk to this guy. And he just starts opening his life story and shares about what's been going on. And uh, I got to share with him what we do and what we've been up to and talk to him about Jesus. He said, you know, I struggled when I was in college about the whole free will and and thought that how could there be a God who's in control? Because I told him that this is a, a God appointment. And he goes, I, I struggled with that. How can God be in control? But he says, I took free will so far that I had to come back and realize that there has to be some kind of supernatural direction. And it just gave me an opportunity to say, Jesus loves you, man. And that's the reason why you're here right now. So I got his name and I said, I'm going to send you one of my books. Uh, it's a great way to get their name and address. And then my other buddy who went on the cross-country ride, he does a daily devotional. And it's done for unchurched and church people, but written in their language. And so I said, I've got this buddy. I, I wouldn't mind uh, passing your name along if you'd like to get his devotional. Uh, Ray Jennings. And uh, the guy goes, sure, I, I'd be glad to. So this morning... I thought I'd better text him, let him know that his book is coming. And uh, and I want to just read it to you. Hi, Steve. It was great meeting you last week on the ferry. I'll be sending you a book this week. I've added my friend Ray Jennings to this text. He's a biker sends out one-minute notes each day from the Bible to bikers. If you're interested, just let them know. I found them to be encouraging, safe journeys. Steve responds almost immediately. This is too funny. You actually crossed my mind yesterday. I'm in Long Beach, Washington. 
rode down Highway 101 all the way from Port Townsend. Anyway, I stayed the night here at the greatest little hotel. I thought this, now the guy is planning our bike trips. I thought, he, he says, I, I thought this would be a great place for your couple's ride to stay at. All the women would love it. Plus the ride out is awesome. I'll send you a picture of the place. Uh, you know, God is definitely trying to get a hold of Steve. And here is an opportunity for Jesus to show him that there's people out there that care for him and love him. And so these intersections are not just for bikers. These intersections are for any believer. If we slow down a little bit, if we become alert, and if we yield to the Holy Spirit and get up every morning and say, Jesus, I'm open to those intersections. I've been on airplanes where the Lord has basically said, take your sound deadening earphones off. And I leaned over and asked the person beside me a question and was able to share with them about Jesus. I think the reason why a lot of people do not want to share about Jesus is they're afraid that that person won't give their life to Jesus on the spot. What if we quit being car sales people and we became tour guides and we realize there's a lot of tour guides out there and if I can get this person from point A to B, I know that, that Jesus is going to find somebody to get them from B to C. And then he's going to find somebody to get him from C to D. It's not my uh, calling or, or, or the, the challenge to get that person on their knees in the airplane, giving their life to Jesus. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But it's my calling to share what I have. And then Jesus is going to find, if people will be alert to it, Jesus is going to, Talk to someone else and say, here's an intersection for you. Talk to this person. And it makes evangelism organic and, and gives us the opportunity to really be used with our gifts and our personality. And it's amazing how God is like this orchestrator who's saying, well, I know him and I know what he's gone through. I'm going to match him up with this person. They're going to connect. And they're going to help this person along. It comes out of the great commandment. And uh, it's really a call to, to love God. In Luke 10.25, a legal expert with a desire to test Jesus asks, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus immediately turns that question around. And he says, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And this legal expert responds. I'm amazed of his response because he gives him the right answer. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. I think the church has done a good job to challenge people to do that. I really do. But that's not the whole commandment in its entirety because there's two commandments in this section. The second commandment is a call to love your neighbor. 
the legal expert knew it, and he actually quoted it and finished the, the, uh, the command. He says, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replies, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. And the expert continues to probe, and he says, yeah, but who is my neighbor? I wonder if this expert had a neighbor that he really couldn't stand. He's trying to get out of uh, the responsibility. Well, Jesus, I was hoping you'd say, uh, I'm to go after the neighbors that I like. And Jesus brought him back and he said, here's the command I'm giving you. The first command and the second command are equal. In other words, put the same effort in both. And the church has done a great job over here, challenging us to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And here's where the millennials have missed out, is they're like, yeah, but where's the practical? Because we haven't taken the practical and said, you know what, it's just as equal as this over here. We need to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but we better be loving our neighbor as ourselves. And the commands are equal in intensity in calling, in purpose. I believe that if the church catches this, we're going to see such an incredible... You know, people have been praying for revival. And that's over here, you know, thinking that, well, if we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then revival is going to happen. No, revival is going to happen when we do that. And we do... This, where we love our neighbor as ourself, and they start hearing the good news. And we're going to be blown away that our church is full of people. And what do we do now, Pastor? We don't have room. We don't have room in our parking lot for these people. That's the heart of God. And that's what he was trying to get across to this legal expert who was trying to pin him down. Jesus was outward focused. He spent the majority of his ministry outside the four walls. And I think when we read it in our Western mindset, we think Jesus was in a building the whole time. He was in a church building the whole time that he did these <laughs> great, powerful miracles. No, he was outside. And that's where we need the gifts of the Spirit is when we're out in the marketplace, when you're at work, when you're at the hospital praying for a friend. That's when you need the gifts of the Spirit operating powerfully in your life. And so Jesus agreed with the attorney's answer, and he said, you know what? If you'll go and you'll do those two things, you're going to live. I want to challenge you. How are you doing on the great commandment? Number one, how are you doing with loving the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are there idols? Are there things that are keeping you from loving God that intimately? Secondly, how are you doing in loving your neighbor? Maybe it's cooking up some cookies and just going over and saying, hey, I was thinking about you. Got some cookies for you. We can all love our neighbors. Neighbors are not just those that live around us, but they're those that we meet on our journey. The person that I meet at the ferry boat launch is my neighbor. The person who cuts me off when I'm on the freeway. And I want to just 
I want to do something bad to them. I think this is where the legal expert was at. Jesus, you certainly are not talking about them. And Jesus is going, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about them. How are, you get, how are you going to handle someone who's treating you, a neighbor who's treating you wrong, a neighbor who has a dog who gets up in the morning at like 5 o'clock and you let the dog out and the dog is barking uncontrollably. How do we love that kind of neighbor? Yeah, ouch. Because <laughs> I've got one of those once in a while. Fortunately, it's not every day, but... Uh, it's like the Lord saying, well, I've called you to love your neighbor. So a challenge. And that challenge uh, is, first of all, receive the conciliation of our God through Jesus Christ. Enjoy that great truth that he came not to judge you, not to harm you, but to bring reconciliation. That's the role of Jesus. And he now is bringing that reconciliation between you and the Father. And then secondly, have a, a personal call. Accept that personal call that the Lord has for you. And begin to pray for intersections that the Lord would open up these opportunities where you could share your faith in ways that maybe you have never shared them before. And number three, just rejoice in the incredible power of our God who is able to orchestrate people's lives, even in their free will. He is so powerful that he can orchestrate their lives to where they show up at the same time you show up at a given point in space where you're able to share the good news of Jesus Christ to them. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I just thank you today for challenging us with your word. Lord, every one of us have neighbors. Every one of us have opportunities. And uh, today we need to just ask, who is my neighbor? Who are the neighbors that you have for me to go and connect with and show love to you. And Lord, I pray that we can go from here just excited about how powerful you are, that the gospel is powerful, the gospel does work, the gospel is good news to those who are sinners, to those who, who are lost and going to hell. It's the good news that they don't have to go to hell they can go to heaven. They can spend eternity in love and peace 